the parable of the prodigal son pretty much preaches itself. Come home. The shape of all of Christianity is no more complicated than those two words. Come home. We have, each of us, traveled far from the purposes for which we were created. We have, each of us, squandered the gifts we have been given. And we have, each of us, pursued what we want over what others need. We are broken and always finding new ways to break again. But the call of God made clear to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ is simply this, come home. There is no distance too far from which you cannot return. There is no sin so great that it cannot be forgiven. There is no condition of your soul too tarnished that God is not able to shine it into something more precious than gold or silver. Come home. And the promise of God is that you will be met with the loving embrace of a father. You will be clothed with a robe of forgiveness. You will be decorated with a new and beautiful purpose. You will be given good work to do. You will experience new life, life after death, new creation. And perhaps that's all the sermon you need for today. Come home. Perhaps you've come home a hundred times before, and yet you find yourself in a distant land once again, and you're wondering, can I really come home 101 times? The answer is yes. There are no exceptions or asterisks on God's promise of loving embrace. So come home. If that's the only sermon you need today, you can put on headphones for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> because I have a different sermon for the rest of you. As the default reading of the parable is that Israel is the prodigal son, and God is the father. The second way of reading the parable, very closely related to the first, is the sermon I already gave, that we, as individual Gentile sinners, are prodigal sons and daughters, and the God revealed to us fully and finally in Jesus is the father. But I want to preach a sermon based on a third reading, which is that we, as the church, have an opportunity indeed a vocation, to be the father for a world of people looking for a home. Which is to say that we, as the church, have a destiny to be like God. I'm afraid I'm going to do another art thing. Look at the image on the cover of your bulletin for today's service. This is a Chagall piece that we do not have because, well, we cannot afford it. <laughs> the original is about five feet long and it's owned by the Pompidou in France. This piece is called Exodus. It is, I hope, 
pretty obviously, the people of Israel fleeing slavery in Egypt to enter into their own land for the very first time. And Chagall, to my reading, has made two pretty fascinating aesthetic choices. One is that Chagall has chosen to put Jesus rather than Moses as the one presiding over their escape. You can still see Moses off to one side. And the second choice I find interesting is that there is no Red Sea. Or rather, if the sea is anywhere, it is out in front of the painting. The people of Israel are not running away from us as the viewer. They're running towards us. They're running toward you, the viewers of the painting. The people of Israel have escaped the violent oppression of their past. But the question is, will we receive them with open arms, like the father to the prodigal son. Jesus is showing you the posture you ought to take. But there's more, I think, to this painting than just that. That is, I can't help but wonder if Chagall has another exodus in his mind here. In 1947, so after the war and the Holocaust had officially ended, but just a couple years before this image was painted, there was a coastal passenger ship that got nicknamed the Exodus because it was used to transport over 4,000 displaced Holocaust survivors to Palestine, bringing people to a new home for the very first time. Except in this case, while the ship was still a good way from shore, it was surrounded by British destroyers and was refused entry. The British rerouted them to France, hoping to make them someone else's problem. But the Jews on board were so motivated to go to their homeland that they refused to disembark. They refused to get off the ship in France and instead went on a hunger strike for three weeks. The French authorities refused to do what the British asked and remove them by force. And so eventually the British moved them again, this time to British-controlled Hamburg, Germany, where, guess what the British did to them? Interned them in camps. You can just see a boat in the upper left corner of the painting. You see, this makes the image quite a bit more pointed. An entire nation of hungry, fleeing people, and not ancient people, but contemporary people, are staring at, at this point in his career, Chagall's increasingly Western, increasingly even British audience, saying, why won't you welcome these people like Jesus welcomes them? We might see today, then, in this painting, a different reflection still when held against our current circumstances. We might see not the faces of ancient or mid-century Jews, but the faces of the people of Ukraine. This, of course, moves beyond the world and probably imagination of Chagall, but probably not quite as far as one thinks. 
Remember, Chagall himself was from what is now called Belarus. His own Jewish village of Vitebsk was occupied and mostly destroyed by Nazis, why he had to flee to the West in the first place. Prior to World War II in the Holocaust, Ukraine had one of the largest Jewish populations in the world, and some of the very worst horrors of the Holocaust happened within its borders. And still today, as many of us know now, what we didn't know several weeks ago, a significant Jewish population endures, including President Volodymyr Zelensky. Which is all to say, the Western world is facing another Exodus painting moment right now, as a nation of women and children flee violent oppression. And the question will be before the powers of the Western world, will we welcome them or not? And it should be said, probably what's obvious, that these people running aren't even prodigals who put themselves in these miserable circumstances through their own action. They're refugees who did nothing to deserve it. And of course, Europe will face the biggest burden on the refugee front. President Biden's promised 100,000, while a good start will be a drop in the bucket. And of course, all of this only affects you and I, comfortable on the south side of Austin, Texas, only so much. But I have good news for you. Because God doesn't call us just to welcome Ukrainian refugees. God calls us to welcome everyone. There are many issues that we face in today's world where there is lots of room to disagree, like many of the things we call politics, like who you want to win the final four. There is room inside the Christian tradition even to disagree about war. There are many things. It's good and that there is space for us to disagree about. This is one of the things I love in particular about our parish, that this is a place where people who hold different opinions about the issues of the day can exist and worship and love one another. But who Christians are called to welcome is simply not one of those things that we can disagree about. Christians welcome everyone. Christians welcome friends, refugees. Christians welcome enemies, children who squandered their inheritance even, everyone. This is one of the reasons that we at St. Mark's are such big fans and supporters of Community First Village. There are two central innovations that make Community First such an impressive place. The first is that they are trying to solve homelessness by, wait for it, giving people homes. But that simple and beautiful and still radical decision often overshadows the second thing that makes them utterly unique, even though it's right there in the name. The second innovation 
is that they are trying to help people suffering from a whole variety of problems, including homelessness, by giving them community first. Which is to say, in order to move into the village, you don't have to fix yourself first. You don't have to meet some exhaustive and demanding list of stipulations to earn your way in. You just move in. You are just welcomed. And their philosophy that has turned out to work miraculously well is that the other stuff tends to sort itself out along the way. There's even better news. You don't even have to travel all the way to East Austin to practice Christian welcome. Under Mother Mary's winsome direction, St. Mark's has been helping an Afghan refugee family for the last couple months who live right here in Barton Hills. Actually, sometimes you don't even have to leave this church to practice Christian welcome. Do you know how hard it is for someone to try a new church for the first time? you're trying this church for the first time right now, I understand if you're a little nervous right now. You have to wake up early on a Sunday for one thing. You have to drive, sometimes even get kid or kids into the car. All to what? To show up to a place where you know nobody, where everyone already knows one another, where you don't even know where the bathrooms are or if they even work. And all because why? Because you're curious about God? Is there anything more embarrassing to admit out loud in this world? The rest of us, we can come to church for a hundred different reasons. To come see our friends, to eat tacos, to put our kids in the nursery so we can have a few moments in the week of just reverent silence. But coming for the very first time, there is only one reason you come to a church for the very first time, and everyone else is going to know what it is. Let me tell you a hard thing. Let me tell you a hard thing as your pastor. I've had two conversations in the last week with people who have told me that they or someone they knew visited St. Mark's for the first time and that not a single person introduced themselves or said hello. Now, I like to think that that's the exception to the rule. I think I know that many people experience us as a warm, and welcoming place, but I also know as an insider in this community to be suspicious of my own reading of the room. I know it's genuinely difficult to experience a place as an outsider when you are an insider. 
to say nothing of the fact that some people are just plain easier to welcome than others. This sermon is based on what you might call a Russian nesting doll theology. Actually, let's just for now call it nesting doll theology. <laughs> that if you want to know what God is like, you should look at Jesus. And if you want to know what Jesus is like, then you should look at his followers. After all, the church is called the body of Christ. The problem with this nesting doll theology, though, is that while those first two layers of the nesting doll are practically identical, this third layer is usually a pretty steep downgrade in quality. <laughs> kind of like that famous hundred-year-old fresco of Jesus that was restored a few years ago that went viral because it was so hideously bad. That's often what the church looks like compared to the original edition. And this, we all know, is why many people struggle to get on board with Christianity. In the words of modern history's most articulate atheist, Friedrich Nietzsche, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked a little more redeemed. But the truth is, a failure to adequately imitate Jesus is not an excuse not to try. The truth is we don't have any other option but to keep trying. And we don't try because in doing so we think we somehow earn our own salvation. We try because there's no better way to do evangelism. There's no better way to show people what our God is like than to act like God towards them. And we try because in trying, we experience new life. We experience new creation. Ultimately, we try because it's not just the prodigal son whose heart is overjoyed by that embrace. It's the father's joy, too. Welcoming others, even those who are not on the surface easy to welcome perhaps even especially those who are not easy to welcome, is a joy. It is a way of experiencing God's embrace for ourselves. For those of us who already experience ourselves as being inside, for those of us who already understand ourselves to be inside. This is our way of coming home again and again. Amen.